Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman, and I'm sitting on the edge of the Mersey with Katie Balls. Uh, how's Labour Conference going for you, Katie? It's going. <laughs> um, I think what we were just saying before um, we hit record was it does feel, I don't know, Flat is the wrong word because I think you definitely feel as though when there are speeches, the hall is very enthusiastic. So mm. I went in to watch Rachel Reeves' speech and I got in pretty early, but I think lots of people quite turned away. And then they, they started did, bringing you yeah. know, a one person per publication rule. Well, which... they forcibly removing you from the hall. <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily I was in, but it got to the point where they were clearly, both in terms of those who wanted to see it, who were from you know, the, the laboured grassroots, but also journalists, it, they felt you know, there was a demand there, which I have to say, if you think back to last week and the Tory conference hall was less of an issue. So the, the Tories actually, it's really funny, for the, for the leader's speech, for, for Rishi Sunak's speech last week, they had this big thing. Thing. They were like one person per publication. You must accredit before. Like anyone who listens to this who's met, ever met a journalist, the idea of doing anything in advance is like deeply troubling. Um, so it was sort of an attempt to, to screen people out. But <laughs> then all the people they told couldn't come, then ended up being brought in because there weren't enough people in the hall, even for Rishi Sunak. Whereas this is very different. You do hear people saying, I've had a lot of buzz around the conference centre of people going, oh, well, this is the conference to come to, isn't it? Um, I think having gone through all the conferences of the Corbyn years, Katie, I think we can both say this is probably a better one to come to if you don't want to leave feeling depressed. Yeah, I think that's right. And watching Rachel Reeves' speech, I always think Labour conference, they are a bit more noisy and responsive anyway when it comes to those speeches. But it was pretty raucous at points. At times I could barely hear what she was saying because the cheering and the clapping was getting to a point, you know, and I, I think you know, people are planning in advance to be very supportive, mm. but it does just give you a sense. So I think the mood is good. Mm. It does feel quite controlled. Mm. I don't feel as though, you know, you're walking around thinking something could go off at any moment. And also, I think because at the moment, for now, we'll see how things go as, you know, if they do get in power, it is very unified. So I think normally at Labour Conference, you think, oh, where are the fringes where the splits might show? Yeah. And in a way, we haven't really been having that conversation because there's just not many, even on, uh, you know, Israel-Palestine, I think the line's being held really tightly. I think... Clearly, the event of the day was Rachel Reeves' speech. And I think what was interesting in terms of what she was trying to do was it wasn't really a grand vision speech. It seemed no. a lot more, you know, again, trying to push fiscal responsibility, fiscal responsibility, suggesting that the election would be won on the economic message. And at times listening to her, you mean, if you, you didn't read anything else, you would have thought Liz Truss was still Prime Minister. Yeah. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I'm a bit scared of Rachel Reeves now. Um, you know, she was once branded uh, boring snoring by uh, the then editor of, of Newsnight. And I think she was scary Mary today because she was really, really forceful about the need for fiscal discipline, um, iron discipline, she called it. In fact, she talked a lot about iron. And I just wonder whether she was trying to get us to call her something i don't know the, the copper lady the stick, i don't know what she was up to but but look she was branding herself as being this tough 
iron chancellor in waiting. I mean, she she told the conference that she wanted to be giving her next speech to the hall as the first female chancellor of the Exchequer. And looking at the faces of the shadow cabinet, who were obviously watching her enraptured, they also looked quite scared because she was. She, I mean, she was on fire. I think it was one of the best political speeches I've heard at a party conference for quite a while. Yes, you definitely felt as though it was her moment. Yeah, and I think. There was nothing, in a way, that surprising in it. So there was one po- point about um, having someone looking into COVID fraud, and that received a very big cheer. Um, but generally speaking, it was the themes we already know about, which mm. is trying to suggest the Tories are dangerous and to keep the idea of Liz Truss alive, mm. mentioning Liz Truss more times than Rishi Sunak by mm. name. Mm. And then also trying to own the centre and almost and almost look as low you are part of the establishment and to do anything you can to suggest Labour is now the establishment on the economy. So in that vein, in the way that they've managed to get some donors to switch from the Tories to Labour, I think you could see that in, you had Mary Portis, the retail expert, introducing her onto the stage and again making a big thing of, you know, the first female chancellor. I mean, if I was in number 10, I would be sitting there thinking, should we just get a female chancellor before the election? (laughs) That's probably the thing they could do most right now to to mess up the plans. (laughs) That will learn them. (laughs) They're not sure, depending how the markets would respond. Um, Bring back Liz Truss. But Mary Porter's talking a lot about that. And then I think, I don't think it's hugely surprising that she is endorsing Rachel Reeves, Mm. even though she is a former advisor to David Cameron on Mm. the high street. She is someone who uh, has been very critical of the Tories recently. Mm about uh, you know what she sees as a failure in terms of retail and some of their policies. And I think that probably the more interesting endorsement actually came after the speech. And that's when you thought it was all over. Everyone was starting to leave. So I thought it was strange in a way to do it after, not before. Mm. But then a video pops up and Mark Carney, the former Bank of England governor, uh, starts to say why he's backing Rachel Reeves to be the next chancellor. And I think... The number of times Rachel Reeves likes to talk about how she is, you know, the Bank of England, she's worked there. I think this is a coup for her. Mm. Now, how will the Tories respond? Well, it's quite clear that Mark Carney has not been flavour of the month for lots of Tories for some time. They see him as Project Fear, anti-Brexit and so forth. So, But he was their there. guy, wasn't he? Exactly. It was George Osborne's hand-picked. I remember James Forsyth, our former colleague, now gone on to, to other less important things than The Spectator, writing a blog at the time saying Osborne gets his man because it was this big hire for, for the then-Chancellor. Exactly, and that's why I think even despite the fact that Mark Carney does receive criticism, he was in, in Montreal recently at that progressive, you know, leaders of the left summit, I think it's still painful for some parts of the mm, Tory party mm. because, as you say, this is the person George Osborne called, you know, one of his generation. It was seen as a real coup when they got time to the country. So I think just to have that person now saying Labour, Rachel Reeves, is going to be, I think, particularly, you know, the Cameroon wing of the party, something which will make them feel as though in the years, you know, in terms of like F business and so forth, you know, where is the party now? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that was good for Rachel Reeves. And I suppose the question is, when you say your point about, you know, did she seem a little bit scary at points? Well, she's going to have a really tough job if you come in, not just in terms of the economy, but in terms of all your spending requests. I think she's easily, I, I think, one of the most talked about, if not the most talked about member of the Shadow Cabinet, yeah. by the Shadow Cabinet, yeah. because they often put these requests in. They, you know, if you, they don't have the money. Yeah. Uh, it's frustrating. And it's an interesting question in a sense. She has the iron grip now, I'll use her terminology. Will she have it when she's in power? I think it's going to be harder then. I mean, you do have, as a Chancellor, to be quite scary, quite austere. I always think they sort of 
purposefully lean into looking as, looking as though they haven't had any vitamin D for a while. Because if you think about most chances, are extremely sort of pale and scary looking so she i guess she's she's trying to adopt that persona that all chancellors have to have and you know that that is particularly important in a labor party and one of her most striking lines i thought was when she said we can't uh, build the economy through tax and spend it's business that is the lifeblood of the economy now you know lots of listeners of this podcast will be going well yeah but you know that is that is really challenging for a lot of labor people really challenging and i suppose the other thing is she keeps talking about growth so some of the language in a way is quite list trust which is you know we're not going to tax we're going to go for growth but and obviously planning reform is going to be a really key part of that but these things do take a lot of time mm. and therefore you you do think if, if you are relying on growth for so much of this what is actually the pace is this a two-term Labour government by the time it actually gets to do lots of the things it wants to do and Isabel you've been watching the other speeches in the hall can you just fill both myself and listeners in on the highlights all the lowlights yeah so I mean the the shadow cabinet speeches so far have been quite short there was a Britain in the world section that was a bit longer so that was um, shadow defence secretary John Healy shadow foreign secretary David Lammy they they did have a a little bit more time but the, the thing that's two things have united all of them pretty much one is that they haven't really been announcing anything apart from john healy said that they were going to be better at spending two billion pounds that was allocated allocated for um restocking uh, weapons and beyond that it's really been a reiteration not even of sort of individual policies but of directions of travel so Liz Kendall. Fraser and I have an ongoing disagreement about whether Liz Kendall or Jonathan Ashworth would uh, win in who's the more radical in policy making top trumps, which is, I admit, a niche game. Um, but I think I'm Kendall, I think Kendall is, is more likely to be uh, radical than, than Jonathan Ashworth, who was, as you uh, wrote in the magazine when you interviewed him, you know, proposing a lot of really interesting stuff on welfare reform. Kendall did not, I'm afraid to say, give me any more ammunition to go back to Fraser and say, look, she's more radical than Jonathan Ashworth because she reiterated the things that Ashworth has said about reforming universal credit and uh, making sure that people aren't written off. And similarly, you know, Jonathan Reynolds talked about the importance of small businesses. So the speeches from the floor have largely been pretty, I wouldn't say anodyne, but they've been really, the, the other thing that's united them all is they've talked about together, we can build the new Britain and that's it. And I suppose the final thing is, first, tomorrow we get the leader's speech. Now, we know what Keir Starmer is trying to answer, which is, you know, if not them, why us? If not the Tories, why Labour? Have we got any closer, do you think, in the first, you know, day and a half of this conference? I think one of the questions he needs to answer as part of that, a sub-question, is how would Britain look different? So I don't think Rachel Reeves saw that as her job today. I think she saw her job as being, we are going to fix the economy we are going to have you know securonomics as she likes to call it um we are going to be safe and no ed Miliband, you know where's streeting you can't come to me and ask for more money so i think we do need to get to get a sense from the leader of how labor britain would be different and what you know what its institutions would look like what its public services would look like beyond visible cracks being fixed because I think that was what he left us with last year and I don't think we've really advanced that much there has been some interesting stuff you know the sort of role of the private sector and so on but I think there there needs to be an idea of of, of what you know what the new Britain is going to look like thank you Isabel and thank you for listening and apologies if there's been a little background noise 
And while we have you here, we have an episode of The View from 22 coming out at 6pm on our YouTube channel on the fallout of Hamas's attack on Israel. Greg Karlstrom, Middle East correspondent at The Economist, will be giving us the latest on the attacks and Israel's response.